Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's good, Chris. I'm back and ready to work on a Monday. <laughs> this is our first recording from our winter break. We took a week off from the podcast, uh, didn't release an episode, and now we're back recording what we call banters before the playing the interviews. Uh, so how was winter break? What, what kind of exciting things happened for you? It was amazing. I'm so it's it's it, it takes you stepping away from work for two weeks to realize, wow, like I really needed this break. <laughs> and of course, now it's like hard to get back into the swing of things. But I was back in Pennsylvania. It was awesome. I saw my family, my friends, and I got to see, meet someone incredibly special for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Do you know who that was? <laughs> who was it, Chris? Who was it? That was you, Rachel. We got to meet each other. We did a brief, very brief Facebook Live just to, uh, so if you missed that, it's over on the Facebook group. Go check it out. But um, yeah, we got to actually meet face to face for the first time. Give, give each other a big hug, you know? I know. So many people were shocked that we had never met before. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked too. I'm like, listen, I know it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so it was you, me and my wife, and we had some nachos together and we chatted about the podcast and each other's lives and just kind of hung out for a little bit. And then actually, I got to meet your twin brother. You've talked about him on the, on the podcast. Showed up for a little while and got to hang out with him for a little bit too. I know. It was really fun. It makes me, it, I was so happy, obviously, but it makes me kind of sad because I feel like if we lived closer, we would do that all the time. Oh, yeah. I felt that same way. My, I know my wife felt the same way. It's like, oh my God, we would be best buddies and hanging out all the time if we, if we were just best buddies virtually, you know? I know. I know. It's so interesting, though, how the internet can foster such you know, strong relationships. It feels crazy to me that we had just met, but we had been doing a podcast for two years. So, so the power cool. of the internet. You um you slid into the booth right at the at the restaurant, and I was thinking this is the first time we're meeting. Like that's her in real life, you know. But it didn't feel that way. Like that felt weird because it because it just felt like we're we've been friends for so for so long, you know. I know, I know. It was um it was great. I had so much fun, and uh, thank you again. So for our listeners, Chris gave me an amazing package of Christmas gifts, and they're all Virginia based. So I wish I was wearing my Virginia socks right now. Now, we did talk a little bit of business, but it's probably too early just to tease it a little bit. You and I did sit for a while and kind of plot out some plans for the podcast, some goals that we really wanted to achieve, um, some future directions that we want the podcast to go. So we did do a little work. It wasn't all just fun and games and, and, and party time. Um, I remember this, there was a time there where my wife kind of just huddled off into the corner and, and ate her nachos by herself and watched the, the, the game that was happening while you and I uh, it slipped into work mode for a little bit, but, but it was, we didn't, it wasn't too long. Yeah. We have some really exciting things in store for 2020. And I'm just like really excited because, you know, this podcast has grown significantly over the last two years and we have a lot of really great things coming your way. So, um, again, it's a little too soon to, to say everything, but keep your eyes out for, for some new stuff coming for, for talking with tech in 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so what about the rest of the break? So we had that great time meeting each other and hanging out. And then what, what else did you do? I have to tell you, I had the most LA Sunday ever yesterday. It was, okay, what happened? it was so fun. So I have a friend who is a producer and a director, which is very common when you're in Los Angeles to meet people who work in the industry, because obviously we have Hollywood and actors and directors and producers and musicians and all these really cool people. So he is part of the Directors Guild and the Producers Guild. And so he 
this this time of year is called award season because all of the the awards are happening. And so because of that, he oftentimes gets invited to these very fancy events and sometimes it invites me to come along because all of the people who are in these movies, they want their movie to be nominated for an award. They want their movie to win an award. And so they have these like very exclusive private parties. So yesterday, and I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, to be honest, because oftentimes my friend will just ask me like, oh, do you want to come see the screening of this movie? And oftentimes it's cool because they'll have a producer or a director there to like answer questions after the film. So I, I rolled out of bed. It was like 10 in the morning and I went to this party in the Hollywood Hills to this amazing house. I didn't, I thought I was going to a movie theater. I wasn't, I was going to this amazing house and it was a private screening of uncut gems, which is Adam Sandler's new movie. And it was awesome because one, the house was the most unreal house that you could ever imagine. For those of you who are uh, followers of my Instagram, you should definitely go to my Instagram. There's a backstage tab and you can see the beautiful house that I was in. And um, then after the movie, I was able to meet Adam Sandler, which was so crazy. <laughs> That's great. That is so great. So so tell us about that. What was that like? So what's crazy about it is that I actually told a joke and he laughed at it, which is like the coolest thing ever. So I was standing there and someone um, in front of me or nearby was playing with their phone. And I think they were, I, I was only half paying attention, but I think they were trying to take a photo and Adam said something like, oh, like, are you swiping? And I heard the word swiping and I just came out of me this joke. I was like, oh, like his Bumble is so hot right now. Bumble as in an online dating app. Um, and he laughed and he was like, oh, like the one with the jokes. Um, and then I introduced myself and I was like, I'm Rachel. And my friend, you know, who was with me introduced himself and had some connections to talk about because of past films he's done with people that Adam's worked with. And so it was really, really cool. And then like he put his arm around me, we took a photo and it was the best day ever. <laughs> Which is also up on your Instagram, right? Yes, it is. Me and Adam Sandler, a picture on my Instagram. Um, and everybody has been going crazy. They're like, oh my God, is that really him? I'm like, it's really him. And I had no idea. Otherwise I probably would have, I don't know, done my hair or like worn a cooler <laughs> outfit. But it was really fun. And it was really cool because it was a very intimate party. Like there were only, I don't know, 40 or 50 people there. So it was very small. This house has this insane movie theater in it. I just felt like the fanciest LA girl ever. That is a great, great story. I don't know. Have you met other celebrities that are living there in LA before? I haven't met that many celebrities. And part of the reason is that everyone in my inner circle knows and makes fun of the fact I don't know anything about the entertainment industry. I don't know who's who. I could see a celebrity. They could be sitting right next to me and I would have no idea who they are. Um, I'm just not in touch with that, you know, that world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting because I'm in the middle of that world and everybody knows about these things, especially in Los Angeles, because you're, you could be at a coffee shop sitting right next to an actor or a musician. Um, and so I, I probably have been, had, have had a lot of interactions or at least sightings of celebrities, but I just haven't noticed. I haven't uh, noticed it. Yeah. So, <laughs> which I feel like is interesting because when I go to these parties where everyone's in the industry, um, I always get self-conscious because one, I'm not in the industry, right? Like I'm a speech therapist. <laughs> um, but actually I think that is attractive to a lot of people because it's different. Like I right. go to these parties and they're like, oh, wow, like you are a speech therapist. You work with kids with autism. You work with technology. That's so cool. Um, so it's actually been quite nice because 
initially I would get really self-conscious, like, what am I going to talk about? I don't really know. Like, I don't know. I know nothing about like, you know, actors and movies that have just come out and TV shows that all these people are talking about, you know, and especially the creative elements of all those things. But, um, it's been really interesting because when I tell people what I do, they're always really curious and engaged, um, and finding out, you know, what exactly I do and who I work with and what my like day-to-day looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's probably, and I'm sure it is, a very different world, right? I mean, I know if I went to a party and it was with a bunch of other speech therapists, all we'd ever talk about is speech therapy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is fine. You know what I mean? I love talking about that stuff. But then if, so if I was an actor and all we ever did was talk about the business, it would get tiring. So meeting someone who's outside of the, the industry would give me a lot. Oh my gosh. Yes. Tell me everything about that. You know, and it might be just enough, especially speech therapy. I might know somebody that gets speech therapy. I might know a kid that has a disability. So there's, um, there's always that personal connection as well. You know, my sister has a kid or my nephew or my niece or my cousin or somebody, you know, there's always some sort of connection. I know it's interesting when you go to a networking event and you have to kind of either talk about yourself or talk about something, right? Like it's hard to go to these events and just spark conversation with someone that's authentic and genuine and interesting, you know, and I think that younger me was always intimidated by situations like that. And now I just realize, like, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be myself. And some people are going to love that. And some people aren't going to like it. But you know what? All I can do is just be genuine and authentic. And I feel like a lot less pressure in situations like that, um, especially in Los Angeles. There's a lot of pressure to like about, you know, what you do, what car you drive, who you know, um, all these things that in the grand scheme of things don't really matter. And so I used to get really nervous, like, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm not in the industry or I don't drive a fancy car, or, you know, all these things. And now I'm just like, you know what? I am me and take it, take it or leave it. I'm just going to be myself. And there's such a, a calm and ease that comes with that attitude. Yeah. I think that that comes with, um, over time, you know what I mean? I bet you everybody goes through a little experience like that, no matter where you are. I mean, maybe it's amplified in LA, but, um, where you, you are coming into your own, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're just comfortable with like, oh, sorry, this, I know when I was younger, I would have that experience too. Like, well, everybody has to like me, you know, oh, yeah. I don't want to do anything at all. And if I was in a room full of a hundred people and 99 of them liked me and one didn't, I'd be like focusing on that one person. Well, why don't you like me? And now it is what it is. You know what I mean? I still try and be nice and kind to everybody, you know, don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't feel like I walk around being a jerk, but I just I kind of accept it more that you just got to be who you are, you know? I think that it reminds me of our speaking events at conferences because I think that, you know, you can get at 99 glowing reviews and it's the one person that had something negative to say that you focus on, right? You're like, oh, Mm -hmm. why did this person say that? And you just, you know, I used to spend a lot of time focusing on that one person. And don't get me wrong, there's value in the negative feedback, right? There's value in the criticism because it can help open your eyes to something you didn't see, you know, change your perspective potentially. Um, you know, you might be able to revise the way that you're doing something um, so that it's more accessible to the people who had, you know, critical things to say about it. But, um, but yeah, I think that it's important to just remember, you know, 99, we're great. One, maybe not so much. That's normal. That's typical. Yes, absolutely. So um, speaking of that, so speaking of speaking at conferences, that's what the interview is today. Um, so here I had this kind of weird experience when I was in Indiana. Um, I, I, weird isn't the right word. Um, I was doing a presentation on coding and robots and the, the conjunction of that, you know, we talked about that on the podcast before, the, the merging of coding and computer science and robots with language and using AAC. And so I was doing a session in, uh, in Indiana 
And a number of people showed up to the session, but it wasn't the number that had come to my other sessions on other topics. You know, I feel like sometimes when I title a session on coding and robots, it scares a lot of people away. Like, yeah, that's not for me, you know? So a number of very highly interested people came and it was a small enough group that uh, it was a, it was a two and a half hour session. So it was a really long time to be talking about coding and robots. So a number of people came for the first like half hour, got some information and left. Four people stuck it out where they played with a bunch of different robots that I had brought and um, uh, that I had available there. And uh, we really did a little deep dive into activities and discussion around it. And so since there was only four people there, I said, hey, would you mind if we recorded this as a podcast episode? And so we pulled ourselves together. You know, the first part, the first hour or so, like I said, was playing with the robots and doing our own thing and having a discussion. But then we, like I said, a deep dive, we kind of pulled ourselves into a big circle. I threw up the recorder and I said, let's just chat about it, you know, Um, and let's put this out as a podcast episode. And some of the people that participate in one in particular is a uh, past interviewee. Uh, So it's Kelly Fawner, who we had uh, had on to talk about pod. She's a pod trainer. So she participated in that. And then there's three other people that uh, work in the field of, of assistive technology and AAC that uh, we just we just had a great, uh, you know, about 45 minute discussion about the idea of coding. Uh, we came up with implementation uh, plans and activities that you would do with kids um, and just how we would uh, merge the world of computer science. And there's new, all these new computer science standards that have come out in many states. And a lot of teachers are wrestling with how do you teach computer science? And we were saying, well, let's do that for students with autism, students with disabilities, students with language impairments. Let's not let them be left behind. Let's let them learn about computer science and coding as well. And let's do it with this fun, engaging medium of robots. So that's what this interview is. I'm really excited to listen to this. This sounds um, exactly, it's, it sounds like you turned lemons into lemonade, which I really appreciate. Um, it's also funny you bring up Kelly Fawner because Literally yesterday, I was looking up pod trainings. Kelly, I know you're listening to this. Please have a pod training in California or Pennsylvania. I'm happy to go home and, and go to a pod training. But I really want to do a pod training. It's like one of the things, like I feel like I've done a lot of really awesome trainings and pod is one that I haven't done and I really want to do it. So agree. Really- I have not I have not done an official pod training as well or either. And so um I would absolutely love to go to a pod training done by Kelly Fawner or any of the other pod trainers as well. But uh, Kelly's the one I know the best. So uh, it would be awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Chris, if we could do the training together, my mind's blown. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. We would have a blast. We would have a blast together. Yeah, we would have so much fun and we would learn about pod, which I'm really interested in. Me too. All right, so without further ado, have a listen to this this great uh, interactive discussion at the Access to Education conference that happened back in November of 2019, where we talk all about coding, computer science, and robots, and AAC. So Rachel, before we head into the rest of the episode, in case people missed the announcement on last week's episode, let's give it to them again. What's the big announcement? We have a Patreon site now. So Patreon is a platform that you guys can go to to help support our podcast 
financially. Um, we know that you guys love our podcast because you come up to Chris and I at conferences, you send us emails, you tag us on social media. We love all of your support. Um, but unfortunately, this podcast is not free and we have a team of people working behind us to bring you amazing AAC specific content every week. So if you are interested in supporting us, now we have a way for you to do that. Chris, where do they have to go to support us? They go to patreon.com slash talking with tech and you can find right there where you can sign up and it's how much is it a month? $8 is what we are asking for for our core members. $8 a month. And then what's exciting is that once we get to 50 Patreon members, we're going to open up a new tier, which is going to be really exciting. We're going to offer all types of other things. We haven't specifically decided yet, but we have some ideas. One is a live Q&A with Chris and I. So having a time to ask us in real time questions that you might have. Another one is to have learning tracks. So if you want to learn about a specific area like core words or aided language simulation, uh, we're going to organize all the episodes that you need to listen to to acquire that skill set. We can shout out you guys on our social media um, because you guys are also, we should probably just do that anyway because you guys are doing amazing things on social media. Um, I'm so excited, all of these people who are doing amazing content um, and sharing all of their resources and knowledge and therapy ideas uh, on social media channels. Another idea we had was that we've done those listener feedback episodes and listener question episodes where people write in with questions and then we sort of answer them. Well, we have a long list of those questions, but we could organize them based on people who are participating in Patreon. If you're a Patreon member, then we'd bump your question up in the queue uh, and we'd get to you first. So we're really trying to figure out ways that we can create a supportive community around our podcast. We already have amazing listeners, but we want to interact with our listeners. At this point, you know, Chris and I, we, we hop on every week, we talk to you guys, but no one's really talking back. And so I feel like we want to create a community where we're able to have dialogue uh, with, our, with our listeners who are really interested in learning more about AAC. This is perfect for students. It's perfect for graduate clinicians. It's perfect for CFY clinicians. Uh, it's perfect for speech therapists who are like, I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to AAC. Um, so there's a lot of different areas that we can dive into. Um, but first, we need to get to 50 Patreon members. So if you haven't signed up, we would love your support. Just go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech or our bit.ly bit.ly backslash TWT pod. And we would be very grateful for the support that you showed us. So without further ado, let's hear the discussion that happened over at the Access to Education Conference in Indiana. Welcome to Talking with Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here at the Patents Conference, though it's not really called Patents anymore. Uh, it's called Access to Education, right? Yeah. Everybody, yeah. and I'm sitting in a group with um, five people, me being one of them. So we've got Darla Ashton. And Darla, what, can you tell people a little about yourself? Yeah, I work for a local school district. I'm the assistive technology coordinator, but I also double as a BCBA. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. And we've got Brian. Brian Franklin from Louisville, Kentucky, Jefferson County Public Schools, assistive technology liaison. And, and, Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm Catherine Brown. I'm a speech therapist at um, Ben Davis High School on the west side of Indianapolis. Um, and I work with grades 10 through 12. 
Awesome. And we've got returning guests to the podcast. <laughs> Kelly Foner. Hey, uh, I do training and consulting and educational and assistive technologies. Awesome. And so we pulled ourselves together in a, in a impromptu recording session for this podcast um, because, yeah, of course, the air conditioning just kicked on um, uh, at this conference because um, there was more people, but they left. And now there's the, f- the five of us sitting here talking about robots, coding, and AAC and the convergence of those sort of three things. And uh, the experience you just got to have is um, we I, I brought a Dash robot from the company Wonder Workshop. Uh, so you got to play with a little bit of that robot and the coding that goes with it. Uh, we brought up Code.org, which is a website that has some different, uh, uh, again, free coding activities. The one that we've been playing with is the Star, Star Wars. The Star Wars one. <laughs> <laughs> you get to drive BB-8 around, right, and give it commands. And then the other one, uh, the, the other robot that we got to play with is the Ozobot, um, which is a little bit different in that it is one that you draw on paper, and it has a little sensor, and it reads what you've drawn. Not out loud, it kind of follows the path. So if you draw a black line and put this robot down, it'll follow that black line. Uh, it tries to, supposedly. anyway, supposedly. Tries to <laughs> supposedly. If you do it the right way. And the version we have here, um, uh, I didn't bring those. I got them from Patents, which is uh, in, in uh, Indiana. They have a little lending library, or maybe actually a large lending library. Mm-hmm. As a little is not uh, the right way to describe it. Um, and so they let us borrow this the, the, the robots. So just in general, I'm going to open up to you. What, what's your impression of them? Uh, what are your thoughts about each one of those? And we'll just have the conversation from there. I think I'm going to put in my request immediately to patents (laughs) to try to get some of these into some of our buildings pretty soon. I guess from your session today, what was kind of interesting to me was thinking about we have this big focus on core vocabulary, about how we can be using um, some of these standards from Indiana and bringing it into our classroom and using um, some of our AAC with those standards. Now, when you say standards, can you describe that a little bit? Because sure. I, I think people are probably thinking about like the literacy standards or reading or, or, or math standards, which all of those true too, right? Yeah. Those two, but what you're specifically referring to. So we spent some time today talking about like the computer science standards that Indiana has. And I think we're always looking for ways for our, for our classrooms um, to be more included in the general education curriculum. And I certainly know of gen ed classrooms that are going into the computer lab and that are working on coding. I don't think... Um, I know I would not have probably thought about of a way to incorporate some of our um, nonverbal students into that environment, into those, into those curriculum standards. So this is definitely a way that has me thinking a little bit differently. Ah, fantastic. Other thoughts? Yeah, I had not even thought about robots since we were talking earlier middle school. I was in a robotics class um, in middle school, and this was just bringing back all of those fun feelings of like working with my friends and running to the computer and like programming something for a robot to do and running back and trying it, um, and then usually it not working and us griping to the teacher and saying, ah, oh, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. And he goes, it's a robot. <laughs> it did exactly what you told it to do. So um, that seems like a you problem. And so we'd go and we'd re- rework, and that experience of getting to collaboratively work with peers is something that I think a lot of my students at the high school um, in our our self-contained settings sometimes miss out on just by virtue of being um, kind of in a separate environment. So I think that it'd be a really cool way to um, broach that inclusion topic with something that is super social, is super... um, 
high interest, I think, and age appropriate, which I'm always looking for at the high school mm-hmm. level. So, um, yeah, I honestly, my brother is a big robots nerd, and I wish I had been like, hey, let's talk about this sooner than now, because it seems like a really neat tool that I can absolutely take back and use. So, Older brother, younger brother? What's younger that? brother. Yeah, younger brother. He's My dad's an engineer. My brother's an engineer. He's been into robots for forever. And so, yeah. So yeah. when you, like, younger, younger, like, no, like in No, no, like 20... Four, twenty-four, younger. Yeah, just a couple years. Gotcha, younger. but still playing with. I mean, oh yeah, still, with still coding. I mean, he's yeah. He, I don't like when people ask me what he does. He works for NASA, so he's <laughs> like, yeah, it's really rough. But co- a lot of coding stuff, a lot of computer. He builds his own computers and things like that. Um, he's so, now a guest speaker at your I, next, you know, class. Right, yeah, I need, to, I need to have him in. But that's he's definitely always been into you know coding stuff, and it, I've always said you know he's the techie sibling or he, you know, he's this quote unquote smart sibling, but I think it'd be a cool to get him. I'll be like, Hey, guess what? This is, this is this cool kind of language social thing. I've always been that sibling. And so say, Hey, this is something that kind of melds both of those things and gets kids kind of talking. So I think it'll be fun to chat with him about that. Well, the fact yeah. that you just said finding something age appropriate, oh, that yeah. just sparked in my head. Like when we're going to spend money for some of these classrooms and when we look at quote unquote toys and mm-hmm. things that we can incorporate in instruction. Yeah. So much, so many of the times they are age specific products, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this is something from the different activities we looked at today that you could use with any age. Oh yeah. Um, that could generalize across a classroom. If, sure. if you are in an included classroom that has K through five, mm-hmm. you could think of different types of activities that would fit mm-hmm. each grade level. And thinking of inclusivity, like inside the school building, because I'm thinking of like service projects for a STEM team in a high school, because mm-hmm. it is age appropriate. So mm-hmm. you have students who are typically excluded from types of activities, mm-hmm. could do this with other members of a STEM team. I yeah. know some of our schools have STEM teams, like where it's actual students and they belong to this and they go compete. So having these students, you know, at the same time learning these core vocab words we learned today, mm-hmm. teaching next in turn, and then doing that collaboration, there's that communication building. Um, and then it just, you know, grows from there yeah. as far as a project. And I love that with the core words because so much of what I find online, I have to adapt to make it more age appropriate because there's a lot of cute, uh, you know, yeah, animated graphics cool, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> bunnies. i love brown bear brown bear but like i've got to figure out another way to teach look because my you know 20 year old uh-huh. ac user doesn't care about brown bear nor should they um so i think that you know giving that opportunity to say oh look at the robot you know that's a way way more um and it's real life it's not you know flat it's not 2d it's you know you can get your hands on and we know that for our kids with um you know multiple disabilities and things like that the more multi multimodal learning you can use the better so i think it's a neat robots are cool man and i forgot about it until today well i love that you got to play with them in middle school my first experience with programming was with cards that you punched holes in so that you could put them through and they would just come out with a fancy array yes i've i've heard of those i've never fortran before that before c++ yes well basic don't you feel like i feel like that's what happens a lot of times when you even the name of this, t- there's only five of us sitting in this room right now. And I feel like, well, could I have titled it better? Could I have gotten more people? Because when they hear the word coding, they might jump to something like, well, I can't do that. That's something way yeah, beyond yeah. me. And I hope, like yes. you see today, <laughs> that it's not that at all. Right? I mean, in right. t- 15 minutes, you would figure these out and you're playing with them. Well, yeah. I probably never would have come to this session I was sharing with you earlier, with the exception of I was working with a student last year who was really into robots. He was really into taking things apart. So that was kind of his 
<laughs> that was his free time activity. He wanted something. Oh, there he goes. He's talking to us. He wanted something oh, like this. He doesn't want anybody yeah. to take him apart. Well, that, yeah. yeah. But my kiddo, that could be a whole day's activity. And he was interested in the science behind how things worked. So I, I brought in a robot, but I did not know how to use it. I did not. I didn't know what I was doing with it. So then he didn't know what to do with it. And so it did just become a, a let's take it apart and see what's inside. But that's why I came today, because... This is this is what is happening out there, and it's coming more and more into the school system. And you can't get left behind. You got to keep up and and figure out how to how to use these things that are um, of high interest with our students right now. Mm-hmm. And the aspect of bringing language into the whole thing. I mean, there's so many different ways we can do it. I mean, from the very simple of more, make it mm-hmm. more, but then kids that are putting language together as they're building you know, the scripts that are happening. Um, I've got a couple SLPs that I work with that will do things with color coding um, and making sure that people aren't just using one word, but putting more than one word together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out how all that can fit together in, in this as well. Uh-huh. So, you know, using more than one word and using more parts of language to describe um, some of the examples that you had given. Right. These Ozbots with the color changing every time it runs over a color. You just mentioned that. The color coding sequence changed and everything. Here's this mm-hmm. mode of language. So mm-hmm. make it blink each time it hits a certain yeah. area and pair that with a word. Yeah. So you could do teaching language structure. Right. Like you could put like a syntax. picture symbol underneath mm-hmm. so yeah. it gets to there. Mash with the line next to it on a piece of paper. Uh-huh. Teach that language that way. So we're using chat editor, the chat editor tool. Wait, can you describe that for people who might not know what that is? Sure. Well, you probably describe it a little more eloquently than I can, but um, it's free and you just download it to your computer and it's a way for you to go on and type in words and then it will match it up with the symbol system that you're using. So for example, we have a lot of words, uh, LAMP, Words for Life users in our district. So we'll go on there, the SLPs will go on there and type out things that they want picture symbols for so that we're using those language picture symbols around our classroom. But I'm thinking with these with these coding robots, you could go in and use that chat editor tool to to get your picture symbols aligned for the core vocabulary and use those as your um, as your prompts. And then you could have your AAC users dictating what you want to code and have those robots do. Mm-hmm. And you could go even to like the switch, if they're using switches or if they're using, um, I don't know, even just symbolic like picture representation as opposed to like high tech systems, you can have, you know, a couple of your options and you can have that student pick this is where the direction that the robot's going or um you know that errorless learning you could just be playing in that kind of i mean it ties in errorless learning it ties in um, literacy sense. skills it ties in writing skills because if we could then go and put those on the board and we're going to write the code on the board mm. and maybe you have a gen ed peer or you have um a paraprofessional or you have somebody else in the classroom if all of our classes are um, cross-categorical so we have students who are you know beginning level um, communicators in the class with a kid who, um, hi, Miss Brown, how's it going? What did you do this weekend? You know, is, you know, doing that kind of thing, very social, um, just maybe has some difficulties academically or cognitively. Um, so that person could be kind of running the robot as, you know, some of our other students. And then that gets again into that SEL and it's very multi-layered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The social emotional learning. And as I'm kind of thinking through it, I'm like, oh, there's so many things we could do, which is awesome. It really is. I mean, you I just need one. <laughs> you just hit on the 
the switches piece and I was thinking, mm -hmm. well, you know, I've got so many kids that are learning powered mobility, but mm -hmm. we, we know the best way for them to learn it is to move themselves in space. But here's another way too. I mean, we're working on barriers and moving around barriers yeah. and giving them a, a 2D experience of what they're going to be doing in 3D oh, as well. Cool. So it's just another piece of that. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Like move BB-8 in co.org, like move it two spaces so we can turn the corner. Which way are we going? We're turning. Right, We're teaching that core vocabulary. Yeah, also, yeah numbers, math, yeah. two spaces. Yeah. There you go. And I mean, the the other part too with it is where. I'm often working with kids that we're doing the every move counts or the first things first preference assessments with. Can you describe those a little bit again? So those are, those are um, evaluative tools that look at kids with complex communication needs. So they have a variety of needs and often people don't know what it is to, um, that they prefer. And so to even be able to say, I want more because People don't know what that might be about. And so the Every Move Counts, you could look it up on the web, um, with Jane Corson and Terry Foss and gang, take you through an assessment process where you look at um, presenting um, visual items, presenting auditory items, presenting tactual items, vestibular. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how we would get the olfactory out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and the tasting, although I do have kids that like to lick things. Um, but... <laughs> But at least you could get three of those good sensory groups out of here and use it yeah. as one of those things that somebody might be preferred. And then going back to your age appropriate piece, I mean, or not preferred, because if they're watching this and you're watching the student, how they're reacting to this, if they're, you know, if they're doing the pull away, the jerk back, the hands yeah. back, then I, then that's showing you that's their way of communicating. I don't like that. Or if they're, you know, if they're really excited about it and they're smiling. OK, I think that this is something that we like. So that's the response that we're looking for when we like something yeah. that every move counts. Yeah, that's been a fun, Sweet. a good tool. But yeah, I definitely you can loop that in. It's a super item. motivating yeah. in age appropriate. It's not a hopping frog that jumps across, you know, and yeah. yeah. Well, I love that because when you think about in the school system, talking about FBAs and so much of that is going back and looking at, a, at, at your highly preferred items. Yeah. So many of those items just get carried over from year to year. Yeah. What, little Billy liked this when he was in kindergarten. So little Billy still must like this when he's in third grade right. or fourth grade. Right. Um, and giving that variety of. Yeah changing that up yeah sure, looking at sure. the properties of the, yeah. the thing that they're interested in not the actual item yeah, mm -hmm. yeah very cool yeah uh, something that struck me that you said a couple sentences back was the idea of expanding the length of utterance mm -hmm. and so something meaning you've got kids that are using one word maybe they're a one word level and they're only using one word and to try to make that more visual. And I feel like the block coding does that. Like, okay, yeah. we're going to, we're going to bring this one block over and look, it does this one thing. But if I bring another block over, look, it does two things and three things and making it a very visual, visual. Yeah. Um, and tactile experience yeah. where you're dragging things over. Yeah. Now let's relate that to the words you're using. Yeah. You know? Where you can start with go make it go, mm -hmm. you know, starting to, again, staying in your core vocab. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then add in a little fringe, because we all love a little fringe <laughs> to be able to name the robot. Yes. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yes. Go right, move right, go down. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. uh, Something else we touched on, but I, I want to make sure we say it explicitly. When you were talking about the p power mobility, it's really about making a relationship, like Brian, you had mentioned the, the blocks moving to. So, so someone who's learning power mobility might move to like move forward this amount of, and that's what yeah. BB-8's doing. Vestibular spatial awareness, even being in, the, mm -hmm. you know, being in a chair, you have to know how far you're supposed to go down the hallway before you turn right. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about um, the peers and maybe not just the benefits to a user of AAC, but the benefits of peers working in when you were talking about the STEM groups, what we might think that might be? Well, peer-mediated instruction is one of our evidence-based practices for students on the spectrum. So I think that's probably a very underutilized EBP that we're using in our classrooms. Um, and this certainly opens the door for letting those um, typical peers come in and, and deliver that instruction. Mm -hmm. So they could, you could ask a typical peer like, all right, in this classroom, we're trying to learn these words. Here's 10 words. How would you design a lesson around that or what kind of something I like that? guarantee any fifth grader knows more than I do right now about what to do with <laughs> these <laughs> toys. So yes, I would feel very comfortable handing that over to them. And, um, and you know, the best way to learn is to teach, right? Mm -hmm. So that's benefiting those peers and it's benefiting um, everybody. Mm -hmm. That'd be a cool idea, just facilitating that. Yeah. Just be the facilitator yeah. and that take off. Well, and last week I was in a seventh grade coding class and with, you know, gen ed kids and the student I'm following is using an AAC system, but it was more about following the directions that the computer science teacher had given them. Then, you know, it, he, he had them set up in a problem solving way, but for the student that I was following, it was more about, could he follow the directions? Could he read the information and duplicate that in the software? And I'm sorry, I don't know what software it was yeah, that we're yeah. using. Um, and eventually they would turn a light on where I just see this that with, you know, actual animated things moving around. Maybe they're building to that in that class. I don't know because I was only there for one day. Um, but I just see so much more that he would do with his communication systems because he's kind of seventh grader now that very aware, socially aware of he's different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so he only uses his communication system kind of when pushed mm -hmm. and everybody is trying to understand his voice and because I mean, he sees himself as a vocal speaker. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, having the two matched up together and a little bit more activity than read the direction and put it in, read the direction, put it in, <laughs> yeah. might encourage him more to use his yeah. electronic voice in class. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I talked about and showed was the, uh, a little activity in Scratch, which is another program, free program from MIT, where my son and his best friend, I challenged them with a, this, this problem of, uh, can you teach the word go and, you, and can you use this program? But something I failed to mention is that Scratch is very similar to Tar Heel Reader in that mm. there's a whole library nice. that once he publishes that, it goes into a oh, place okay. you could, that the community could find it, you know? Mm. Um, and I wonder about that, is if, even if you didn't know an AAC user, even if the you didn't have them in your schools, um, or if you did, um, could that be a challenge that we pose to kids is like, here's 50 core vocabulary words, pick one and design a lesson that could go into this library so that other people could go in and find them. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you we were talking about maker teams. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we look for our, our, our maker movement and that you've got something of value that you're creating. Um, I see a really nice uh, match with that. Yeah. And then they yeah. learned like to be, they're contributing back to their, their, exactly. their community. Bill Binko, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> and in our district, well, we have this thing, it's, it's being picked up around the country as like kind of like a news piece. We have this thing called the backpack for learning skills. And it's based on a lot of that, um, you know, collaborative learner, I'm a good citizen. And so students in certain grades have to def make defenses of that piece. And I'm thinking of students who we struggle, and I know, I know our teachers struggle with getting a good backpack 
putting my backpack in quotes. Uh -huh. um, it's a digital backpack that lives in their Google Drive for every mm -hmm. student. Um, I'm thinking of that digital piece being uploaded into that drive and then they can defend that, that they were, um, yeah. That, yeah. that relates back to the computer science standards. At the same time, holding hands with citizenship and collaborative learner with peers. Yeah, yeah, so, it's like a portfolio. Yeah. It's like yeah. a, digital it's portfolio. a digital portfolio that each student has to collect every year and then they have to defend it in their fifth uh, eighth and senior years. Yeah. And that's see, and I think that's fun. in the Wisconsin standards I was looking up to. <laughs> uh -huh. It makes a lot of sense. Brian, we were talking at lunch before all of this, and you had mentioned, we had I said, oh, you know, we're going to talk about code.org. Mm -hmm. And you had said something about your district about it. And I've, I had not, I had heard this before. So I, yes. I think it's kind of a, important to talk about. It. And I know, Kelly, you're doing a presentation, or did you already do it, about privacy? Yes, right? that's tomorrow. So let's have oh, that conversation. Combo, yes. yeah. <laughs> Good setup. Um, so, yes, earlier I was talking about code.org. And I went to a training this year that our district had hosted some of the, even some of the people from code.org, different organization. And we have one in our district, actually. Um, but the funny thing is, um, it's actually uh, not blocked as an internet site. So teachers and STEM teachers are using it, um, computer lab teachers, so on. But it's actually not allowed for collecting student information. So you're not allowed to log mm -hmm. students in and use the thing. So you have to do pay attention for the COPPA FERPA. Um, policies on certain pieces of software and make your software, your IT department aware. So ours is aware and it's basically got a, a color code of red line um, in our software software approval process that keeps it and some, makes everybody aware to not sign students in. Yeah, because there is a sign button and it could collect yeah. information. And what I showed today, you could all do, you could do uh, the Star Wars thing we were talking about, right. you can do without having to sign in. So you can right. still experience it, but you'd want to be careful not to do that. Do you yeah. have anything to say? Yeah. Well, because you, you have, there's, I'm going to do the whole presentation. Well, and Darla's been a part of this discussion before and other yeah. things that Mike Murata and groups, we've talked about that on AT Chat. Um, but always looking at those major ages of 13, 18, what, what you can and can't use. Whenever anybody, you know, mentions the word, it's free. Yes. Like, like, don't let all the stars go off before you look into it. Yes, yes. Right. I think school districts are becoming more and more aware. They have committees or teams that are looking right. at that. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's aware it becomes frustrating almost sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Did you have anything to add, Darla? Or? Oh, I was just thinking about how many times this year alone I've gotten an email that said there's been a data breach over some random tool that I've signed up for for the year. <laughs> and I'm having to update my password like every month now just because oh, going back years, right? I mean, think back five years ago when I was signing up for anything free that came my way and probably using the same password for everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're getting better. Like we know better now, so we do better now. Yeah. Can I have just, I know I'm keeping you, but so can I just throw out one other piece to talk about this? So one of the things that we experimented with today, the Ozobots, you need some fine motor skills to turn that on, right? right? The Blockly um, app that we were using to control the dash, you need fine motor skills to, to drag things around. And so there's one to drag the puzzle pieces around, right? Even if you were doing the code.org on a touch screen, you're dragging puzzle pieces around. And, you know, we're talking about like, well, kids using their language. You could say, you know, you could command someone else to drag it around, but still not quite as fun as you dragging around. It's a different experience than doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people working in assistive technology. I do know that there's a, uh, up in Canada, there's a group that is working on adaptive controllers, you know, mm, nice. for specifically for this, uh, so that, that that you can have alternative impact math, uh, alternative impact, input, input. <laughs> alternative input methodologies or modalities. But just what are your thoughts about that in general about uh, accessing the tools? 
Well, I work with OTs a lot. So, I mean, that that was the whole other side I was thinking about. How are we going to get kids to draw those lines or, you know, the communication side of me is that, well, then I instruct my buddy to draw the line and what color and what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. But then like the OT side mm-hmm. is, okay, what are the adaptions that we could do with this? And how can we get kids to use different kinds of electronic joysticks and different kinds of switches to, to move those little blocks around, not just to move the robot, you know, around on the screen in the one program, but then to actually put the code together. Mm-hmm. And we're always looking for things that are fun, just like in communication, we're looking for things that are fun and motivating while we're working on adapted access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this could be that. Oh yeah, I mean the one on the iPad, we can you know create. iOS 13, my mind's leaping right now. To yeah. The new mouse control built into iOS 13. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't know, yeah. that, that should work mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you describe that? Because I, I bet you a lot of people don't know okay. the new update to right. iOS 13. So in iOS 13, some adaptive uh, accessibility, in the accessibility section that's newly has its own place on the um, settings area. Uh, mouse control allows you to um, hook any kind of adapted mouse. We just kind of discussing for a student using. Um, Match that across generalization. Sorry, my brain's moving mostly. <laughs> also, also, te- also teaching wheelchair control. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then there's a lot of Bluetooth mice coming out where you don't have to be actually plugged into the iPad, and so it allows for all that and dwell time mm-hmm. and clicking. Because I know we were playing with that the other day in our mm-hmm. office, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on my laptop, I can be doing eye gaze. Yes, yes. Moving things around. Controlling things with your eyes. We use the Bluetooth uh, switch a lot from AbleNet to hook up our different you know, accessibility switches to when we're working on the iPad. But you're right, that's the first question one of my OTs is going to say is, how, you know, how can I get our kids participating with the fine motor in this mm-hmm. activity? Which is a good opportunity for collaboration, which is yeah. what I, I mean, I was exactly. thinking like that's an awesome like time to pull everybody together um, and just say, all right, let's let's figure it out. And I I think that's such a cool movement to have special kind of as an SLP, like it's awesome to have special services involved mm-hmm. in some of the um some of the kind of more inclusive, more whole school kind of aspects. Cause I feel like sometimes we get pushed in this little bubble that we work with the hundred kids that are on our caseload or um, 50 kids in a perfect world that are on our caseload. But um, it gives an opportunity for us to kind of step outside of those um, sort of traditional roles and kind of work together to provide access for something that, um, you know, the yeah. whole school is working on. Yeah, if other yeah, kids yeah. can access it, then right. we should do this just like reading, yeah. writing, and other things, then yeah. why not this too, right? Mm-hmm. Well, don't you feel like when you take the time to really, really brainstorm on one student and their accessibility needs, it pivots all of a sudden oh, yeah. to all these other students that you're working with, maybe not in that sure. classroom, but um, mm-hmm. there's value in focusing heavily on one student because it's easy to take a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And into other classrooms. For sure, because yeah, uh-huh. sure, if so-and-so can use it, then this person can yeah. use it, and we can try it out for this person. We can add this little piece for this kid. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you see, I've seen that time and time again. Yeah. Something that starts with a person with a disability, again, blossoms to something that's just good for everybody. Yeah. yeah. UDL. Yeah, there you go. Hey, yeah. <laughs> that's a great way to wrap this yeah. up. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for taking your time and, and this impromptu you know, recording of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know I got a lot of it. I hope you all did, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Please listen carefully. 
Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.